1: Uh, The first reading is from the Old Testament, and it is in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. This is the word of the Lord. And then our gospel lesson for today comes from Matthew uh, 5, verses 1 through 10. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is the gospel of Christ. thanks
2: yeah Yeah. uh let's pray jesus thank you uh, for this day thank you for this moment together i'm so grateful for this room i'm grateful for what you do here um, for what you will do here i pray that you will be uh with us as you have been uh, over the next few minutes together um, would you give us eyes to see what you are up to, what your spirit is doing in this room? And would you give us the courage to join alongside that work? To not just see it, but want to be a part of it. Uh, we love you and we thank you for being with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, you may have heard me wooing in the back because I'm so excited about Peaceful Side Social tomorrow. What you may not know is they opened up an ice cream store right next to their restaurant. So that's where I will be. Um, if you want to join me, feel free. Um, we are beginning a new series this week, which is exciting. I am thankful for your patience as we didn't just go through Romans for three months, but just the one chapter for three months. So we did it. I'm very proud of us. Um, we almost understood it by the end, which is so exciting. Um, but this week we're going to start a new series that will be in for the month of September. About, uh, And the series is about uh, exploring what it means to follow Jesus into division or brokenness or a conflicted story uh, and as I've been writing for the uh, the next month and our staff has we've worked on so much of this together um, and been like exploring these ideas together. And as we've been doing this, I've um, just kind of inevit- inevitably thought about division and conflict uh, in my own lives, or in, I do feel like I've loved, led multiple lives, <laughs> as you'll see in my next story. Um, but I uh, have been thinking about these conflicts and then I'm me, so I instantly go to the most embarrassing and uh, what I think are the hilarious ones. Um, for example, uh, uh, in the sixth grade, um, we had a new girl come to our school And uh, her name was Sarah, and this new girl comes to our school, and just a few weeks after starting school, uh, she gets nominated to be on the homecoming court, which is kind of a big deal if you're brand new uh, to a school. Um, But also, if you've never been to sixth grade, what you may not know is that that, especially in this town, is that is a scandal. It's not cool for a new person to get nominated for homecoming court. It is a scandal. Like, what had to happen? Did her parents pay? You know, like, no one can understand. Everyone who's ever moved to this town is like, this is everything wrong with your town. And it is. You're right. Um, But... Uh, so it's a scandal. And so uh, she not only gets on the homecoming court, uh, then you, like, vote winners for the grade, and she won for our whole grade, which was uh, kind of incredible. But so she wins, like, on a Thursday, and then that Friday night where uh, a bunch of us are at a high school football game, um, and at that game, a whole group, like a gaggle of eighth graders came and confronted this girl about her homecoming win. And they just kind of surround her, and they're uh, confronting her, and um and what they're mad at her about is they have assumed that the reason she won is because she voted for herself. I don't think they had quite done the math on the one vote, you know. But if you've ever been eighth grade, you also are like, well, that too makes sense. Um, and so they they surround her and they're like, you voted for yourself, you know it. And as someone who is always a champion for the downtrodden, I graciously inserted my four-foot ten-inch frame, that's generous, uh, into the conflict that I was had nothing to do with. And I like elbowed my way into the huddle of these girls in order to boldly declare something that I found, found to be brilliant. And so I elbow my way in, and I look and I stare them all in the eye and I say, well, does the president vote for himself? <laughs> and it was silent. Other than the football game going on, it was si- like, you could have heard a pin drop if not for thousands of people. Um, it was so silent. It was like, it was like the silence of a win. And I just was like basking in the glory of my strength in that moment when the leader of the eighth grade girls got as close to my face as she could possibly get and said, and I quote her here, if you say one more word, I will kick your butt. She didn't say but across Blunt County. <laughs> and I, the noble warrior of the weak. Looked that girl in the eyes and said, Yes, ma'am, and then went and saw my parents for the rest of the game. <laughs> the whole rest of the game. I see that girl from time to time uh, around town. She still lives here, and um, you have like you have never seen my forty-one-year-old self mind her business more at Target than when that girl is there. It's Just like, you you? please don't look at me. Please don't. You might remember. You might remember what I said. Um, I've had I've had big and dumb uh, feuds or divisive things with people like that. I've also had these weird. I, I hope I'm not alone in this, um, but probably I am. I've had these like weird, long-standing feuds with people, and the other person doesn't know anything about it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you all have these? Like, for example, I have a long, I mean, decades at this point, a 15-year feud with a gentleman who rides his bike on the green belt that I bump into pretty regularly while I'm walking. And one time he dinged his bike at me and I felt I didn't deserve it. And um, I was just minding my business. I was walking on the path, and he ding, ding, ding. And it wasn't a, I want you to know I'm here ding. It was a get out of the way ding. And I'm still mad at him. It's been, uh, he actually lives in my neighborhood now. I see him all the time. And so I literally have to enemies prayer for my neighbor. And all he did was ding at me one time 15 years ago. Like these long, I've had a, a uh, also multi-year feud with a magician at a Mexican restaurant. That, you know, I just, these these absurd things, like a real tumultuous division with this guy. He knows nothing about it, but I can't quit talking about it. So I've told you uh, I am a petty, petty, petty person. Um, But in reality, uh, conflict and division, that's that's the reason we have to do the enemy's prayer constantly as this church. It's me. It's not you guys. It's just, it's me and the lovely people of this town. Um, In reality, conflict and division are one of the most universal experiences of what it means to be a human. Uh, According to the Bible, this has existed since the Garden of Eden, uh, when the fall of man cracked the shalom of God's good garden and brought destruction and disorder and division with God and man at every single level. Uh, From then on, division has been personal, and it has been communal, and it has been cosmic. Uh, We found ourselves in a fractured relationship with God and with ourselves and with each other, with creation— Uh, Since that moment, relationships have been broken and um, power imbalances have been part of our life. And that story of the garden and its fractures, it stretches all the way to today. Uh, I want to show you something. Last week, uh, we asked some of our volunteers before service where they experience this in their lives, where they see broken relationships or divisive things or power imbalances. Um, their answers were a lot more thoughtful than mine. And so uh, let's hope this video works. We'll check it out. Uh,
1: I see unhealthy. No, stop. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute before you start.
0: Wait, can you tell me the question again? What do you Where do I see hurting relationships? Um, I see hurting relationships everywhere. I see hurting relationships at the school that I teach at. Um, A lot of broken students, hurting students.
1: So I see broken relationships um, pretty much anywhere that there's miscommunication amongst people or unmet expectations.
2: I see um, unhealthy power imbalances at school like when we're at lunch and there's different grades sitting at the table that maybe have more popularity um,
1: that like we can't really sit with. I see hurting relationships uh, anytime that one person doesn't have empathy for the other person and can't see their side of the story or doesn't understand where the other person is coming from. I think it can create a lot of division without reaching a good solution for both people. I
0: see an imbalance of power in that the loudest voice is always heard. It might not be the voice that is speaking truth, it might not be the voice that is speaking kindness, and the quiet voice might be the humble one, the the kind one, the true one, but we listen to the loudest voice. I see hurting relationships everywhere I go. Um, Part of that is, I believe, the advancement of social media. We don't look at each other anymore. Um, We walk past each other, we say, how you doing? We say, fine, and we've never looked at each other. Um, Honestly, I don't believe that we would say the things that we say behind a computer if we had to look into each other's eyes.
1: I see unhealthy conflict and division now that we're entering the political Uh, time of year, it seems that everybody talking about politics is unhealthy. Family, uh, co-workers, um, just relationships amongst all people, really, if there's um, people who aren't giving um, clear instruction on what they want um, or unmet expectations, so like desires that go unmet.
2: I think that I see hurting relationships in my job every day because I work at a mental health facility. So um, there are kids who are hurting because they're sick, parents hurting for their kids, and then even with that, a lot of broken family situations or kids who have been removed from the home into other homes.
0: When you look into someone's eyes, you realize that they are a person going through their own stuff and you don't say those things that you would hide behind a computer and say. I know that I wouldn't. I wouldn't be so judgmental if I had to look into someone's eyes. It's not even looking in their eyes, but allowing them to look at you. I see hurting or division in women, especially young women. Our, so, like our society and the standard of beauty, it is hard to achieve. And I feel like there is a lot of trying to, to prove ourselves or be something sometimes that we're not in schools, in work, in relationships, in friendships, in family. Where do I see power imbalance? Didn't you get
2: fired from a volunteer job by an upperclassman?
0: <laughs> so I would say that there's a power imbalance between grade levels. (laughs)
1: Um, I see unhealthy relationships um, with families. Um, I think family is one of the few things that you don't get to choose. Uh, And because of that, there are some unrealistic uh, expectations um, and accepted behaviors um, and inability to change um, that you don't see in a lot of other places.
0: I see unhealthy balances of power with
2: people with disabilities versus able-bodied or considered able-minded people, people that think differently or have different ability levels, usually don't have as much power in the room and are usually not the ones making the laws or making the rules, um, but still have to work underneath those, which can be very difficult for people and for families not a lot of people see the families either that have to deal with those structures that are different and often aren't known to the general public.
0: I think with the age of social media also there is so much comparison we've always been a people who compared ourselves to each other but now we compare vacations and we compare children and teenagers compare each other but if we allow someone to look at us and Are okay with that I think we would be such a in a better place I mean allowing someone to look at me means allowing them to really see me and we don't do that because I don't think we believe that we would be accepted if we just allowed someone to look at us and get to know us. Is that okay? Is that okay?
2: best people right? Such thoughtful answers yeah. Uh, So our plan during the month of September with that in mind is to borrow some lessons uh, from our Anglican friends uh, Justin Welby, who is the Archbishop of Canterbury, or you may know him as the one who presided, the bishop that presided over Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's wedding, the British one, not the American one. Um, Justin Welby and his team a few years ago wrote a course called, that they called Difference. Uh, and we, we actually offered it a few years ago during COVID. Some of you took the course. Um, but uh, we will be using it over the next four weeks, kind of like a textbook or, or like a trellis to help hold up our conversation. Um, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, And we will also be showing quick videos like this uh, every week, like what we watched today, that will take us from our own room uh, to across the globe and then back into our own community to help us foster this conversation. Uh, The premise of difference of of our series is this. It is that God is seeking to heal relationships and that he has invited us along in that journey. God is bringing healing and transformation and renewal to what is broken in our world and in our families and in our social circles. Things like uh, what our friends just talked about on this video. The things uh, that we deal with, uh, that they talked about things that we deal with on a more personal level. But what God uh, began in Genesis in the garden uh, gets carried all the way through to the end of Revelation. Um, That is kind of what we'll be looking toward over the next few weeks. Revelation 21 says, uh, behold, I am making all things new. Uh, God, he made this uh, garden, this world created uh, with dignity and with care. And his plan is to restore all of that. And uh, in between these two things is where we live. Also, in between these two things, the garden and uh, the perfect coming world, uh, at the center of these two worlds is the story of Jesus. Jesus who came to heal and to renew the divide between us and God, between heaven and earth. Uh, In the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we see the links that God will go to to restore relationship with us. In the life of Jesus, we see that God is is very much uh, involved with the complexities and the differences and the divisions in our lives not absent from them. If we look at Jesus, we see that he is absolutely everywhere. Jesus spends time with people who love him and hate him. He spends time with people who follow him and people who reject him. Uh, People who claim him privately but will not claim him publicly. And people who claim him publicly uh, but do not claim him privately. Uh, He crosses political divides, religious divides, cultural divides, gender divides, socioeconomic divides. Think of a divide. He crosses it. In Jesus, we see that God is not absent from the complexities of our lives, but present in them. And not just present, but working for healing and working for renewal. And he has invited us along in this work, as we say often around here, to join him in the renewal of all things. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says that God through Christ has reconciled us to himself. And then he offered us his ministry of reconciliation. It's an invitation from God to us from the life of Jesus. It's a um, beautiful and empowering and like purpose-driven invitation for humans. It's something I'm so excited about for me and I'm so excited about for you. It's the thing I talk about more than anything else. Uh, us crossing divides to walk into broken places in our world with the hope of peace and healing and restoration. generally, as a preacher, I'm not sure I've talked about anything more than I've talked about that. I think it's incredible. But if I'm honest, as beautiful as this invitation is, you can tell from my stories previously, it is not always the way that I walk. I wish it was. But there are so many days uh, that even though I believe this with all of my heart, uh, my heart forgets to tell my body or my brain or my hands or most often my mouth. Um, there are days when the divisions in me or the divisions around me leave me feeling uh, ill equipped to the task at hand. Uh, I have become confident uh, that what in moments of my life, that what God really wants is this task for you guys because you're so wonderful or that it's a task for like the future version of me. I say this all the time, the future version of me that doesn't say so many bowling words, that that girl will get tasked with this work. But the current version of me needs to get her stuff together in order, you know, needs to probably forgive a magician that doesn't even know he's at fault. Like, That that I need to get my stuff together before I participate in this work. Uh, I want to quote directly from the difference course here. I think I have a slide for this, Dave, um, because they say it better than I could. They say this. uh, We are called to be, in this work, uh, we are called to be fully human, not superhuman. Embracing the fact that we are fractured, fragile, forgiven works in progress. No one is invincible, but God can work through each of us. In fact, our brokenness and our mess are the very things that will help us to be reconcilers if we are open to allowing God to work through them in us. Uh, the work that we'll talk about over the next few weeks, it's not um, a new to-do list to add to your life, but rather a new way of thinking about how you show up into the world. Uh, it's a new way to think about showing up in the places where you live and work and learn and play, one that shows peace as possible and healing is possible, and hope is possible, and renewal is possible. Uh, The next few weeks will be about how to start doing this when you don't uh, know where to start. Uh, To begin our journey uh, today, my hope is that together God will um, awaken or reawaken us to uh, the calling to be reconciled to him. And that in that calling will come also this invitation to join him as ambassadors of that reconciliation that he's offered to us and through us into the world. Um, It's an invitation to look at Jesus, who is God's example for what it looks like to walk into broken and fractured and divided places and to believe something more for those places. Uh, and the book I think we've preached out of more than any other book at Springbrook, um, which, shockingly, even after a whole summer in Romans 12, um, is Colossians 1. And this is what Colossians 1 says about Jesus. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ Jesus. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Uh, to begin this journey, we have to begin um, awake to the hope that this verse is true. That God, in all of his fullness, lived in Christ Jesus, who made peace with everything, including you. That's actually the next verse. Verse 21 says this This includes you. Who? You. Me. You. Who were once far away from God, but he, who he has now reconciled to himself, bringing you into his presence as holy and blameless without a single fault. Not people who feel like they're holy and blameless without a single fault, people who God has declared holy and blameless without a single fault. And as we wake up to this for the first time or the billionth time, we find that Jesus invites us into a brand new uh, way, a transforming way uh, uh, to think about our relationships and think about our world. Uh, It's what we heard from both of our scripture lessons that uh, Chris read today in Isaiah where the prophet says that, that this is who Jesus will be. This was a prophecy about Jesus. This is who he will be. This is what he will be about. He will be the kind of God that brings beauty in the place of ashes, who will restore things that have been long devastated in the world and in people. It's uh, what Matthew 5 is talking about from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest teaching in all of the New Testament, and Jesus, where Jesus is telling his followers, you are the plan for how we will accomplish this. And he says that, that the peacemakers will be blessed as children of God. Meaning, part of our identity as God's family is making peace in our places. That's part of who we are. Jesus, he, he paints a picture of God's kingdom where mercy and justice and hope are hallmarks, not accidents. And so we'll spend the next few weeks hoping to equip you with stories and tools to live out this vision of restoration and healing in our lives. Uh, if you've noticed, we do this every fall. And we will do this every fall. Um, so as we continue to unpack more of these ideas, uh, one of the things that we hope to cultivate in this room uh, in order to use outside of this room uh, are a few habits. And so the first tool that we want to offer you today um, are three habits that we're going to honestly talk about every week. It is our main tool for this whole series. Um, These are three formational habits that our Anglican friends uh, created us to make room, created for us uh, to make room for transformation in our own lives and in our own everyday encounters. And the three habits are this Uh, number one, be curious. Number two, be present. And number three, reimagine. These are the three. We'll talk about them so much you'll be sick of them. Um, Be curious, be present. Reimagine. I want to just briefly touch on each of these and then we'll uh, close up. Uh, First, be curious. Uh, As Tracy said uh, in her part of the video, something happens in us and through us when we allow room uh, for other people to be people, right? When we make room for the humanity of others, for the stories of others, as busted as it may be, something happens. Uh, Curiosity goes beyond behavior. Curiosity goes beyond opinions of someone. It values their story with sensitivity and their story with respect, acknowledging that each one of us uh, comes from a different place or background or experience or perspective and and that those things inform our choices and they inform our opinions and they inform our behaviors. And so curiosity allows us for a moment uh, to see the world through someone else's eyes Jesus was doing this all the time. If you remember the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, uh, it's it's Jesus confronts him with curiosity. He makes room for the story of Zacchaeus uh, so much so that he is like, you should throw a party at your house and I'll invite some people. Uh, It's what Jesus was constantly doing with uh, his followers when he would tell them stories about what his kingdom was like rather than spoon feeding them answers. He's trying to foster curiosity in his people. Uh, when I think about curiosity, uh, I, I think about something I learned when my boys were in preschool. You may have heard me say this before. Um, but when my boys are in preschool, their art teacher sent home a letter at the beginning of the year. And, um, and it said, like, when your child brings home a, a creation from art class, rather than asking, what the heck is that? Or why did you paint a dinosaur purple and a sky turquoise? She was like, instead ask, tell me more about that. Just simply tell me more about that. Uh, Curiosity, it sets aside quick judgment in order to learn the art of saying in all kinds of situations, tell me more about that. That's the art of curiosity. Okay, the second habit is being present, uh, which means listening when someone tells you more about that. Uh, I can't tell you how many times that I am just like, by nature, curiosity, that is, a, that is a habit of my life. Like, by nature, I'm a curious person. But I can't tell you how many times in curiosity I have asked someone something and then completely checked out on their answer because I already judged what I thought they were going to say anyway. And I just didn't even listen. Um, presence was one of the superpowers of Jesus. Being present, I saw a video once called uh, Godspeed, and essentially it was all about how Jesus walked everywhere and how normal walking speed is three miles an hour. And so in the video, it called Jesus the three-mile-an-hour God. But the point of the video was that Jesus accomplished every single thing that he was meant to as the Messiah, as the Son of God in this world, and he did all of it at three miles an hour without rushing. Three miles an hour, because three miles an hour allows you a kind of presence with people that rushing doesn't allow. And presence, when we can be present with other people, it allows us to be honest and authentic and confident in our encounters with other people. Uh, The final habit, so be curious, be present. The final habit is learning to reimagine. Uh, This is a holy, holy, holy habit in our lives. Reimagining, we're vineyard people. Reimagining means that we invite the Holy Spirit to be at work in whatever is broken or divided or conflicting around us. It means making space for God through his Spirit to open us up to a new perspective, to open us up to new possibilities in us and around us. Uh, learning to reimagine makes room for us to find hope and opportunity in places of our lives that we want to see change. Uh, Jesus was constantly doing this. He was, in, he was constantly inviting people to reimagine. He did it um, with his disciples very first. Uh, when he first calls his first disciples, they're fishermen, and he invites them to see fishing in a new way. He's like, you fish for fish, I'll bring you to fish for people. And he's inviting this reimagining. He did it with religious leaders all the time. He would say, you say this, but have you ever thought this? Um, Do you know the story about when uh, the the religious leaders bring the woman to Jesus that they've just caught in adultery and he like draws in the dirt and he reworks the law. He allows them to reimagine the law in a way that restores not only her life, like saves her life, but restores her dignity. He was doing this all the time. He was reimagining and inviting us to do the same thing. And so by nurturing these habits of being curious and being present and reimagining, we can change the way we show up in the world. We can't always change the way everyone else does, but we can change the way we do. And these habits, they have the the potential to transform not just us, um, uh, not just around us, but also ourselves, by allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us into the habits that we want to practice. So here's my hope. Would you, over the next few weeks, uh, consider these habits? Uh, Maybe just pick one a week. But would you consider what would it look like in your life for you to be more curious? Or maybe kind of analyze your life, like evaluate, like, am I a curious person? Uh, Do I lead with judgment or do I lead with curiosity? What does it look like in your life for you to be more present? Uh, Where can you take things off of your plate in order to slow down a rushing uh, plate? And where is the Holy Spirit inviting you to reimagine Uh, In your own heart, in your own life, and in the places where you live and work and learn and play. Uh, And a reminder, in all of this, as we practice these habits, the call is to be human, not superhuman. I actually want to read that quote again that I read, uh, and then we'll do a same Uh, We are called to be fully human, not superhuman. Embracing the fact that we are fractured, fragile, forgiven, works in progress. No one is invincible, but God can work through each one of us. In fact, our brokenness and our mess are the very things that will help us be reconcilers if we are open to God, allowing God to work through them.